From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. One of the things that Trump has to be worried about, especially in Georgia, is when you have 19 co-defendants, one thing prosecutors want to do is get defendants to turn, to cooperate. And so one of the things that can happen here is some of these defendants can end up saying they're going to cooperate with the government against former President Trump. So that's something he has to worry about. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. On today's show, criminal law expert Tamara Rice-Lave unpacks the known and the unknown of the former president's legal woes. Good morning, Tamara. Good morning, Catherine. Welcome back to The Explainer. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I feel like the word unprecedented has kind of lost all meaning since 2016. But let's talk a little about the former president's legal hit list. My pleasure. So uh, former President Trump is facing an unprecedented four. That's one less than a thumb. Uh, Charges. He's been indicted on four different charges in different courts. He was indicted in New York City on a charge related to um, Stormy Daniels and changing business records, felony charges there. He was indicted in Florida for, again, felony charges related to um, the handling of secret documents that he wasn't supposed to have. And then trying again, there was an additional charge related to trying to cover up the uh, the location of those documents and what was happening to them with the security footage. He was then indicted again, now in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, on charges related to, once again, felony charges related to um, trying to uh, overturn the election. And then most recently, he was indicted in Georgia for a multiple of charges with 19 other co-defendants for he himself was indicted for 13 different charges and then for also violating RICO, Georgia's RICO Act. Wow. Um, so just for a little context, in the years prior to Trump's political turn, he was party to more than 4,000 cases in federal and state court, ranging from bankruptcies to battles with casino patrons, And that's more than the top four real estate magnets combined. Is this just more Trump being Trump or nothing to see here? Well, what's unprecedented about this is that this is the first time that a former president has ever been charged with a felony. Part of what's different is that Trump in the past has avoided going to court as much as he can. I mean, he has uh, engaged in behavior to threaten people and to basically avoid going to court. And we already had one court case, right? The case uh, where he was charged with the civil case. And of course, he was found liable. And now we have these cases here. They are criminal and they are a very big deal. They are felonies, as he's been reminded. I mean, you know, one of the things that's worth paying attention to, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is his lawyers made some arguments about, well, he's running for president and he has these rights. And the judge said he is a criminal defendant. I mean, he he has constitutional rights, but he's also a criminal defendant. And that means that his behavior is impacted in a way that other similarly situated people are. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so what will be the biggest mountain to climb for the prosecutions in the criminal cases? Just getting it to trial before the elections? Yes. I think that the hardest thing for them to do is going to be to get it to trial. I mean, there's four different cases. The the defendants in the cases will be trying to slow it down. When I was a public defender, we used to talk about, you know, cases are like a fine wine, best aged. Uh, so the lawyers will be trying to slow things down. They're complicated. There's different jurisdictions. There's a lot of discovery. So I think it will be very difficult to get the case to trial before the election and perhaps, I mean, at all, but certainly before the election. Okay. Um, If Trump is successful in severing off the other defendants in Georgia, and if those cases are won next spring, how much impact will that have towards strengthening the other cases that Trump has in the court of opinion and in the courtroom. One of the things that Trump has to be worried about, especially in Georgia, is when you have 19 co-defendants, one thing prosecutors want to do is get defendants to turn, to cooperate. And so one of the things that can happen here is some of these defendants can end up saying they're going to cooperate with the government against former President Trump. So that's something he has to worry about. The court of public opinion, I mean, cheapers creepers, the court of public opinion is totally unexpected and unpredictable. So, you know, his booking photos, which to some people, they look at those photos and they say, this is horrible. This is an abomination that a former president is, is, you know, has been indicted, which means a jury of People in the community has found that there is sufficient evidence to hold him to answer to those charges. Some people feel like that and other people go, well, he's, you know, it's a witch hunt. I'm going to give money. So what do I think is going to happen in the the court of public opinion? It appears that there are some people who will stick by his side no matter what. I think that, you know, to win, maybe not to win the primary where he just has to convince uh, Republicans, but to to win the general election, he's got to appeal to many more Republicans to independents. And I think that, that, you know, the more that cases go forward and people are convicted, the worse. And gosh, every time there's a court appearance and, you know, one of the things we have to pay attention to is if a case does go to trial, well, Trump has to be there. It's a criminal case. He's got to be in court. And former President Trump is used to doing what he wants and saying what he wants and not paying a lot of attention. But let me tell you, in court, especially in federal court, there is a lot of formality in court. There are bailiffs or there are marshals who are keeping order in the courtroom. The people that speak are the judge, the lawyers and witnesses. And former President Trump has a Fifth Amendment right to remain silent against self-incrimination. But if he starts speaking up, Well, I mean, he's not going to be able to start speaking up. And if he starts making various kinds of statements, it could be considered a waiver. So I I think it's going to be hard for him to deal with the way that court is and the way that his ability to talk and run the world the way he wants to is severely restricted. Keep selling that mug on a mug merch. Yes. The next big shoe to drop is is the Mark Meadows decision. Going to be a big deal. So what's going on with with Mark Meadows is he's arguing that the case should move to federal court. It doesn't mean that the cases, the charges are going to go away. 
All it means is that he's arguing that the proper venue for the charges is in federal court. If it moves to federal court, what that means is that the federal rules of criminal procedure will uh, be the, the governing rules. It means the federal rules of evidence will be the governing rules. Uh, it also means that you're going to have a slightly different jury pool. So it might be strategic what's going on here. But the real issue he's arguing is that what should go to federal court because he was acting within his duties uh, as a as his federal duties, right, his job. And so that is an issue that a judge will have to decide. But if it goes to federal court or stays in state court, I mean, it's not like he's making a motion right now to have the charges thrown. I mean, it, it, what's going on is it's just sort of a, a venue question of where it's going to take place. But I would say that the next in my opinion, the next shoe to drop is going to be whether or not former President Trump is able to abide by the rules of release. You know, the different judges have given him rules and the Georgia judge in particular has given him pretty onerous rules, has said that he is not allowed to try to influence or communicate with the other, I think it's just influence, the the other uh, co-defendants with any of the witnesses, including on social media, including retweeting something on social media. I think it will be very difficult for former President Trump to comply with that. And so then the question is, what's a judge going to do? I mean, we already have Georgia where somehow the list of names of the grand jurors who indicted him was released along with photographs and addresses. That is extraordinarily scary and threatening. That is clearly sending a message that there are consequences when you indict somebody like former President Trump. And if the judge is aware of all of that, aware of what's at stake here in terms of our democracy, the rule of law. And so I I, I sincerely hope that if former President Trump continues to engage in the kind of behavior he has in the past, that there will be consequences. And my goodness, if Trump goes to jail pre-trial, I mean, think about, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried. He was out of custody. He released uh, the journal of his ex-girlfriend. And what happened? Now he's in custody. And so it happens that people go to custody. And I was a public defender. When your client is in custody, it's much harder. It's much harder to meet with them. It means that when they're brought into the courtroom, they don't walk along the hallway with the jurors. You don't get to, they don't get to, he doesn't get to kind of, he's not a lot of talk, but smile or anything else. He's brought in through back hallways. So there's a very big difference in, uh, I mean, there's there, the, the outcome I think will be different for him. And I, in, in terms of whether or not he's likely to win or lose with the hampering that happens from being in custody so I, I, that is what I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm interested in seeing what will happen. He doesn't listen very well to his lawyers. He doesn't listen very well to judges. And so what's going to happen? Will he end up in custody beforehand? I think it could happen. So uh, anything else, anything in closing you want, we should look at, we should talk about? You know, I, I, I think it's maybe worth taking just a moment to think about what this means. I mean, it's talked about in terms of being that it's, unprecedented, that it's very significant. But many people, myself included, watched what happened in January, watched people storming the Congress, have 
witnessed the behavior of Donald Trump uh, over these last few years. And it feels, it has felt very discouraging. I mean, my daughter, my about to turn 10 year old daughter, I want her to grow up believing in the power of democracy, the rule of law, the necessity of, of being respectful and treating people well. And it's very difficult being a parent in a world where somebody like former President Trump has engaged in the kind of behavior he's engaged with, with seemingly no consequence. I feel, you know, very happy that the system is working, that these prosecutors are going forward, that they are, that they are calling a grand jury. So we get, we get the viewpoints of people in the community. Um, I think it's the right thing to happen. Will he be convicted? I don't know. He's presumed not guilty. The prosecutor has to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. But right now, what we're seeing is nobody is above the law, including former President Trump. Remember when we were discussing and being assured that President Trump could be presidential? He assured us he could be more presidential than anyone had ever been over the days. Well, I mean, my goodness, when he made fun of people who were disabled, he said, you know, we, on video, outrageously sexist things. He bragged about sexual assault. So anybody who thought he actually was going to be more presidential than anybody ever, that person was drinking <laughs> a tall glass of Kool-Aid. Unfortunately, there are still people that are drinking that Kool-Aid, but at least the system, the rule of law, yeah. the court, the flag, you know, the, the, the people are doing their job. Cool. May they continue. All right. I'm sure we'll be back on the mic about this as we move along. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. See you around. Thanks for joining us for The Explainer and a whole new season of Explaining. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at theexplainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uges. Today's show is brought to you by Miami Law's nine postgraduate programs. Whether you're a mid-career attorney looking to specialize in estate planning or a foreign attorney expanding your international law breadth, Miami Law has a program for you. For more information, visit www.law.miami.edu.